This is the what we call the Warrior Chapel or the St Michael Chapel and it is an absolute jewel box. Nothing has been spared to make this the most beautiful chapel uh, that it could possibly be. The inscription around the walls, of course, they shall not grow old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning we shall remember them. And that tells really the meaning of this beautiful chapel. Father Stephen, you mentioned there was no expense spared in decorating this chapel. The funds for it, though, were raised by the community, raised by subscription. Yes, this chapel was built for the community, not just for the cathedral's use, but it was for the whole region as a place that people could go to honour their loved ones they'd lost in war because, of course, they couldn't visit graves, uh, which were so far away, but they were able to come here and have a sense that they'd visited uh, their loved ones and come close to them. There are some very beautiful things, and some of them are quite heartbreaking, including the vessels and Book of Gold, which memorialise the fallen, and they're made from the covers, the gold covers and the gold of the vessels are made from the jewellery of girlfriends and daughters, mothers and sisters of the fallen. And you just want to weep when you think of all the love that that represents and all the grief still there for us to look at and be dazzled by. And there is jewellery in those things that come from uh, people's engagement rings, where there's been no marriage, but there was an engagement, or from brooches of mothers and so on. Oh, stop it. You'll make me cry. Let's go and have a little look. Uh, as we look at the Book of Gold, we can see the most beautiful workmanship with jewels set into the gold cover, beautiful gold hinges and enamelling work and these were created by a very famous jeweller artist, uh, Mark. And you'll see with the sacred vessels, the same thing with enamel work and jewellery inset. Uh, and the jewellery, as I said, coming from people's, uh, the jewellery of, of women folk who'd lost their loved ones. So the stones in here, there's various stones, there's quite a few opals actually, but these have come from women's jewellery. That's correct. They all represent the most precious possession, perhaps, of the women who owned them. The uh, Book of Gold contains the names of people from the region who died in the war, and there's a page for each community. Uh, that one is for the parish of Dungog, and you'll see as we look at it, it is absolutely beautifully illuminated, and the names beautifully inscribed in the book. And because the book is fragile and needs to be left closed as much as possible, we have a moving picture frame in, the, uh, in a special cabinet so that people can see the names as they turn over. Also on this altar we can see other work by Mark, which was part of the memorial, a cross and candlesticks, 
and these are normally locked away in a safe because of their value. Uh, they are extremely rare examples of perhaps the finest work done in Australia by the arts and crafts movement when that was in its heyday. There isn't a detail in that that isn't absolutely exquisite, both from the gold work and the enamelling, which is quite breathtaking. I find that it's when you visit these sorts of memorial spaces, whether it's a small chapel like this or it's the War Memorial in Canberra, um, that you can't help but start to feel the stories and understand that the stories are about real people and real families. Uh, Very much so. There was about one in six adult males that I can work out went to the First World War, which was pretty enormous. And um, some of the, the statistics on the First War give us some idea about why uh, remembering the fallen was so great that there were 416,000, nearly 417,000 uh, people mobilised to go to war, which was about 18% of the adult population. So when you think about it, it's about one in six Uh, mostly males who would have gone to the war. There were 215,580 casualties and 61,720 deaths. Adrian, tell us a little bit about this space. It is, as Father Stephen said, it's an incredible space. It's a beautiful space. Uh, Yes, it was actually added to the cathedral. The cathedral was finished before the First War and this was added in 1923. And where it is located in the cathedral, it faces the northeast, so it gets the rising sun of the morning, and the light in here is very beautiful in the morning. And it has many things carved into the walls, which must have taken a great deal of time and effort. Uh, Father Stephen has already told you about the Ode to the Fallen, which is in relief carved right around uh, three of the walls that we're looking at. Um, Up in the uh, western wall you can see the carved reliefs of the insignias of the three armed forces, the infantry, uh, navy and the very fledgling uh, air air wing that there would have been at that time. There are also up around the walls uh, beautifully made stained glass windows and the stained glass windows uh, have both biblical Uh, figures in them, like in this case we're looking at St Joseph the Carpenter, and beneath you can see there's an emblem of a miner, which connects uh, the working people who uh, were engaged uh, as soldiers in the war. You can see to the left there's also an insignia at the bottom of two stretcher bearers uh, taking a wounded soldier from the field. There are also various illuminated spaces in here that are all very different. What are they? Um, The illuminated space uh, to our left has a copy of the Book of Gold that Father Stephen spoke of. So we'll actually have that available. It's a photocopy so people can look at it and touch. It doesn't matter very much, but that is a sort of uh, one illuminated place. The other illuminated place is at the western wall above the uh, bust of uh, Alfred Foster, who was the son of the Governor-General of Australia. Uh, He had two sons and lost both of them 
in the First War, and that is uh, an effigy of his son, uh, Alfred, but it has no name on it by the intention of Lord and Lady Foster that it would be a memorial to all of those who fell in the war. Uh, behind that is a, looks like a, a cage in, in brass or bronze, and that contains a light called the um, TOC H rush light. It is uh, emblematic of a group that was formed among the soldiers and uh, padres to provide rest and recreation to soldiers coming off from the front. Inside is a light, and the idea is that the light would never go out, something like the eternal flames that we would never forget, the sacrifices that uh, mostly young men made in the First War. And you were saying that somebody used to come and light that every day? Uh, yes, there was a gentleman, Michael Erickson, who was a member of the Newcastle Tock H branch, who was appointed as keeper of the lamp, a position that he, he held until 1975. And after his death, the lamp then had an electric light put in it so that it would keep burning. So he would come and attend to that lamp every day. Just to the right of the uh, brass cage that I spoke of is a wooden cross, which would have a place for a candle in it. And that is the Changi rush light, and it was made by prisoners in Changi Jail in Singapore. And the fall of Singapore was an absolute disaster for Australian, uh, Australia and British allies and others. And 100,000 troops were captured by the Japanese with the fall of Singapore. Those troops were then held in, in various camps and also in Changi Jail. Uh, which was a place of great wretchedness and many Allied prisoners, including Australians, died of malnutrition and starvation. Just to the left of the uh, bust of Alfred Foster is what appears to be a very insignificant wooden cross. And this cross was taken from uh, the Western Front, um, I believe, at uh, Ypres, and was retrieved by the by Allied forces, and it is a representation of one of the thousands, tens of thousands of crosses that were littering the battlefield to soldiers whose names were unknown. So it is a war battlefield representation of a memorial to the unknown soldier, and it was presented to the Dean of the Cathedral by the Prince of Wales in 1927. And it's pretty rough, and I actually think it might be made out of uh, ammunition packing cases or something similar. Um, but it's a very interesting and very important point of reference to an actual battlefield. It is really an incredible space, isn't it? The whole cathedral is an amazing collection of stories but I guess it's easy to walk through here as as anybody can we're all welcome to come and have a look through Christchurch and to be in the space uh, but it is easy to walk through here and acknowledge that there are interesting items around you but not necessarily knowing the stories that come along with them. Yes we have a, a little booklet uh, for visitors called Touchstones which will provide um, quite good descriptions actually of the the principal memorabilia that are here. This is a real labour of love for you, isn't it? Um, it is. It is. It uh, draws you in, I have to say. This um, cathedral chapel in particular 
is absolutely silent. There is not a sound to be heard. So it very much is a place where you can connect with the spirits of good and generous people who went before us and uh, who fought for justice and freedom. Adrian, there is a collection of war medals here in Christchurch Cathedral as well, and Father Stephen tells me the Victoria Cross here for uh, Clarence Jeffries is the only one held outside the war memorial? Um, it's the only one except uh, there are still some in private ownership, but it's the only one in a public place outside the war memorial, yes. This uh, medal was presented posthumously to Captain Clarence Jeffries, uh, who was a mine surveyor in the Abermain uh, area. And uh, we have two items that uh, connect with him. One is the Victoria Cross, which was donated by his mother on her death to the cathedral. And the other is a chair that was presented to the, uh, what would have been then the Church of England in Abermain. And it represents the empty chair of Clarence Jeffries, who did not return. Uh, Clarence Jeffries, from the photos we have of him, was a very handsome young man in his early 20s with sharp, bright eyes. And he led a group of uh, troops to take a German gun emplacement, uh, which he did. And then they uh, went out to take another one, and he was killed in uh, that activity. In fact, in the 34th Battalion, who were involved in that, uh, Either all of the officers were either wounded or killed in that particular action, which gives you an idea of the size of the losses. Uh, Captain Jeffries is uh, buried at Tyne Cot near Passchendaele, where there are 12,000 war graves and 8,360 have no name. Adrian, I suspect that this enormous Union Jack is perhaps the flag that visitors to the cathedral are most familiar with. Yes, that's right, Carol. This flag was uh, presented by uh, Colonel Granville Burnage. It flew over his headquarters at Gallipoli, and it is the only known surviving regimental flag uh, from the First War. You'll see it as a Union Jack because uh, the Australian nation was only 13 years old at the outbreak of uh, the First War, and but there are very strong connections to uh, Britain and the monarchy in those days. Gallipoli was evacuated and Colonel Burnage was wounded and repatriated to Australia. Uh, the troops asked him to bring the flag back with him to Australia, which he did, and the flag was laid up in the cathedral, as they say, in 1916. So it um, has a very long connection to the memory of Anzacs uh, in this place. It's quite extraordinary that it's been here since during the war itself. Uh, that's right. Um, it uh, fell apart in uh, the late uh, 20th century and uh, a group of uh, people raised the money uh, locally to have the flag restored by experts and put in the glass case so that it couldn't deteriorate any further. Uh, the carpenter's bench was presented by the group I referred earlier called TOC-H. 
uh, and TOC H uh, it was a Morse code uh, symbols for Talbot House. Talbot House was this place of rest and recreation on the Western Front where soldiers could come and um, recuperate, if you like, and have uh, some company away from the place of war, which didn't involve being in taverns or other places. You'll see that the altar that we're looking at is a carpenter's table, uh, and the connection there is with St. Joseph the carpenter and uh, Christ, who was also a carpenter. So that's the connection there. You'll see beneath there is a very interesting little statue of a dog, Chippy. Chippy is a, a, a Scots Terrier who was the dog of the Padre there, uh, Reverend Tubby Clayton. And I think the, the bust of the dog is really quite touching when you think of soldiers coming away from the madness of the front to, to be greeted with and to be able to hold and pat and cuddle. Um, a dog would connect them with home and the places of, of great pleasantness and away from the madness that they were facing. Chippy, what else would a carpenter call his dog? That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. 